0: Let's jump in um, to Luke chapter 4. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We've got um, some lovely gentlemen that, that will bring them by and uh, give one to you. If you don't own a Bible, it's our gift to you. Please keep it. And it's a hardback. I mean, these are nice Bibles. Keep this Bible. Uh, or give it, give it away um, to someone you know that, that needs a Bible. That would be awesome. We're happy to give them away. Um, but you can open up to the Gospel of Luke chapter four, and we're in verses uh we're going to read verses fourteen through thirty so Matthew Mark Luke and the New Testament chapter four starting in verse fourteen let me read it pray, and then we'll 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 dive in it says this and Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all and he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and as was his custom he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him he unrolled the scroll found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb. Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. the Syrian when they heard these things all in the synagogue were filled with wrath and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff but passing through their midst you got to love that but passing through their midst he went away it's a long story um we looked at kind of the first half last week. We're going to be diving into the second. Let me pray, guys. God, we, we invite you here this morning. Oh, man, we don't want to be like that synagogue in Nazareth where we gather and we give ourselves to the reading of your word. But when you actually come and speak, when you actually come and, and maybe say a hard thing or say something that doesn't fit with our flesh or our agenda, we reject you. And we we'll find out it's really just all been about us. God, we don't want to be like the synagogue in Nazareth here today. We humble ourselves before your word. We humble ourselves before you, our Savior, and we say, have your way with us, God. Have your way with us, Jesus. I'm always amazed at how you can take (coughs) your word and apply it in all the ways that we need and but I'm asking today, whatever the needs of your people are, whether they need conviction of sin or they need comfort of your forgiveness, so they feel condemned. Whether whether they need to be brought low because they're haughty or lifted up because they're depressed. God, you can come and do these things and, and a million more here this morning. We pray more than anything that Jesus would be exalted, that that the work that you did for us on the cross would be exalted, would be seen fresh in our eyes. The grace that's flowing to us now through your spirit would be made evident. God, we don't want to gather here in vain. We certainly don't want to reject what you would say to your church. So please come and speak. And please, God, give us ears to hear. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, okay. So as you can probably tell, I'm getting over a cold. So my apologies. My voice sounds kind of deep. I kind of like that. I feel like more of a man up here. You know what I mean? Like authority is just coming forth from this pulpit. But <laughs> if I cough, and lose I got whatever, whatever the kids had last week. Um, so as we, we said last week, uh, as we looked at kind of verses 14 down to, uh, about 21, I think is where we ended. But as we said last week, um, Luke puts this scene, this, this Nazareth synagogue scene at the, um, at very outset of Jesus' public ministry in terms of his gospel. This is the first thing that Luke points out for us as Jesus enters into public ministry. Luke wants us to see this. And I said that I think Luke puts this scene um, at the very beginning because this scene actually identifies certain key themes that will be developed throughout the rest of uh, Luke's gospel. Identified three key themes that show up here um, first jesus 's identity starts to become unveiled in in, in this scene second jesus 's mission starts to become uh, clearer to us and third jesus 's rejection becomes evident the the shadow of the cross is already falling upon the Savior even here at the very beginning of his public ministry. Now, last week, we looked at the first two, his identity, his mission. This week, I said we were going to pick up his rejection, Jesus's rejection. Now, think with me for a moment. I mean, those of you that might have a background in church, those of you that might be familiar with (coughs) the gospel of of Luke or whatever, um, might not initially read this and be surprised. You kind of knew it was coming. But I want you to think for a moment how crazy it is and, and heartbreaking it is that I actually have to discuss um, Jesus's rejection alongside uh, the discussion of his identity and mission. Think with me. There is no greater news in all the world than what Jesus opens up with here in this little synagogue, in this little town. There's no greater news in all the world than when Jesus closes, or I should say rolls up the scroll, sits down and says, this has been fulfilled. I am, as we saw last week, I am the Messiah. I am the servant promised in Isaiah. I am the Redeemer. I am the one who's come to to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you read what, he's, what he just announced to them? I mean, it's amazing stuff. Sight to the blind and and, and and good news, gospel to the poor and liberty to those who feel oppressed and captive. This is the sort of stuff that's going on. The year of jubilee he's announcing as we saw last week. In other words, I'm here to say that new beginning that you and the whole world are longing for and have been waiting for. It's here. Today we're beginning this thing today. I, doesn't get any better than that. As far as news, as far as announcement, his identity, his mission disclosed and it's amazing. And yet, I'm mean, here. Here's what we got to realize. You would think there would be, you know, at this point in, in the service, there'd be just trumpets going, you know? Like, like everyone's like, no way. And they got their trumpets out, and the angels are coming in, and, and, the, and the neighbors are calling. You know, everyone's going, what is going on in that little synagogue? Because something incredible is happening. But instead of celebration, instead of celebration, which would have been the, 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 the logical um, uh, conclusion to all of this. We have to talk about rejection, you guys. I have to sit here and talk about rejection. <clears throat> think, think with me about this for a moment. I just want to show you the insanity of the human heart uh, in relation to, to, to God for a moment. Um, so I'm not that big of a baseball fan, okay? Just, I, I didn't even watch this game, the World Series and whatnot. Um, I have family in Chicago so I know they were probably just weeping with joy. But I don't know if you saw the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. This is the first time and since 1908. I mean, it's been over a century, okay? Over a century. I haven't... I'll, I'll leave it there. I didn't get to see the game, but here's what I thought. Here's what I thought. Now, the game was won in... in uh, in um, uh, Where were they? Cleveland. Uh, but... But back in Chicago, in the Cubs hometown, okay, in the Cubs hometown outside of Wrigley Field, I I read tens of thousands of people out there in the Chicago cold, just watching this thing. And when that last out was made, and these guys won the World Series for the first time in over a century, what do you think was going on? I and mean, I was reading about this. I saw people weeping. You know, I was watching the videos. I was like, "Are you serious? People are crying for joy. People are just like, you know, there's streamers. There's just, it's. They're so elated. And guys that were closet Cub fans for years, but too embarrassed to say, it, are now out there running around. You know, it's just they're nuts. <clears throat> but here's the thing. Here's what you got. Here's what you got to realize. I mean, we would think it was. It was. It was. Something was wrong, right? If instead of the streamers, instead of the, the laughter and the tears of joy, when, when, when the cameras kind of went from, all right, we're going to now pan into what's going on back there in Chicago in the Cubs' hometown. And all of a sudden you heard boos, and you heard hisses and, you, and people were, 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 were sobbing, you know, like, okay, we're going to cut back to the stadium here in Cleveland. We have no idea what's going on in Chicago. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. Nobody responds to the announcement or to events like that in that way. And yet, here's the thing, you guys. That's what's going on in the synagogue in Nazareth, in Jesus' hometown. I, I, I just started thinking, I mean, Jesus comes in. These are his, these are his hometown boys. They're in Nazareth. And he announces, hey, what you've all been waiting for, not just for 108 years, but for over 400 years and more. (laughs) What you guys have been waiting for, we're going to get that started today. And there's no celebration there. There's hissing, there's booing. There's even, we want you dead. How dare you start to say this kind of stuff in here. That seem crazy to you? It should. Something is wrong here. Something is wrong with us. Fallen man knows you guys perfectly well how to celebrate a baseball game. We know how to do it. We have no idea. We have no idea how to properly respond and relate to our Creator and our Redeemer. He comes in announcing our release from captivity, from debt, announcing our release, and he gets our rejection. He gets our rejection. But so it must be, right? So it must be, because we know that, in fact, it's going to be Jesus' rejection, which culminates in his crucifixion. That actually accomplishes our release. That's what's so amazing about Jesus. We're going to, we're going to look at this a little bit more, but it's, it's our rejection of him that actually he he uses, he turns to, to, to use to bless us as the means of our release. When we're killing him, he's saving us. That's what makes the gospel and our God so incredible. So. This morning, I, I want to continue making our way through this text by looking, in particular, um, with regard to this idea of rejection. At first, our rejection postponed. Our rejection postponed. And secondly, at his rejection, his rejection previewed. <coughs> and then we'll we'll end there. First, our rejection postponed. Now. What Jesus does not say in our text, or ever, is just as important as uh, what he does say. Last week, we spent all of our time essentially on what he does say, in particular in verses 18 through verse 21. Here's what he does say. Now, I want to look this morning at what he does not say with you for a moment. Uh, in particular, I'm, I'm interested in what he does not read from the passage he's quoting in Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. Because it, it's, it's, it's really interesting, you guys. You might get tired of me going to the Old Testament or whatever. I'm telling you, this is important stuff. It's uh, it's amazing. Go back. He's quoting the Old Testament. I want to see what he's quoting. And when you do, when you go back to Isaiah, he's unrolled the scroll. He's read Isaiah 61, 1 and uh, verse 1 and verse 2. But guess what? He pulls up short on this quote. He cuts off Isaiah's thought. He stops verse 2 right in the middle. And there's a reason for that. He's trying to say something to us here. I I, want to show you this. Go with me to Isaiah 61, 1 through 2. You can just listen if you want. Um, But here's the text that Jesus is reading from. Um, here's what it says. The Spirit of the Lord, God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the broken hearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now that's where Jesus stops. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Okay, let's roll that scroll up. It's been fulfilled today. But I'm reading in Isaiah, and I'm going, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's not a period there. There's a comma in in the English translation. Isaiah's sentence isn't done. He's still going. And and this is how how it continues. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. The year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. And Jesus stops short. He doesn't fully quote it. So where the ESV puts a period in Luke four nineteen, there should be an ellipses, a dot dot dot. Like wait, well, you cut him off. That's not proper grammar to kind of act like there was a period at the end of that quote. It's still going. But it's not really the ESV's fault. Right? It's not our Bible's fault. Jesus is the one who does this. And he does it, he's trying to say something here, I think. A lot of commentators think. So the Jews, it seems, um, understood the year of the Lord's favor and the day of, of vengeance. So this year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, they read this as one event, one historical event. Meaning, meaning, here's here's how they would have, would have read this. Uh when God comes, when this Messiah comes, it's gonna be amazing. Because he's gonna redeem, he's gonna deliver us, and he's gonna trample on our enemies. It's gonna be a great day for us. Favor for us, vengeance on all our enemies. I love it. And Jesus comes into this synagogue and he says, No, no, no. He stops short. He actually, uh, uh, Jesus, by, by ending his reading where he does, in effect, divides the one historical moment into two. Okay? And it's as if he says this to the Jewish people. Listen. Listen. I have come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and to postpone the day of vengeance. Because... You guys are thinking right now that the day of vengeance will be good for you. Like 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 God's on your side. Like you're on his team. And I am telling you, it's not going to go well for you. You are actually accounted among his enemies, as with the rest of mankind. So this, let's postpone this day of vengeance here. And let me just talk to you about favor. Let me postpone wrath. And let's just try to get you to understand your need for grace is here. Grace is here. I'm offering grace. I'm offering favor here. I want to get you into the year of the Lord's favor before that day comes. Does that make sense? You with me? Am I losing you? One event, Jesus becomes two. Now, we ultimately know how Jesus gets us into the favor of God. I mean, hopefully, some of us might not. But we we, we we, we, might know how Jesus gets us into the favor of God. And here's how I would put it. The day of vengeance, the day that would have been our rejection, that should have been our rejection, is actually postponed for us and brought in early. For Jesus, so he walks in knowing, hey, here's what's going to happen: that day of vengeance that's, uh, that 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 should be your rejection, I'm going to take it early for you. And in that, then I can start to proclaim the favor that's available to you during this time. Don't reject me, or that day will be uh, set for you to give an account. But I'm telling you, I'm going to take it for you. Let's postpone it for you. Bring it in early for me. I'll take the vengeance. I'll take the wrath. I'll take all all the punishment due your sin. And I'm going to come out of here. I'm going to proclaim grace. Come into me. Come into me. And, and my judgment day will become yours. And God will see you as if you have all, all the vengeance due you has already been absorbed in me. That's what I think is going on here. Christ takes the day of vengeance and I get the year or the even eternity of favor. So for those who are in the Son, God is now, I mean, hear me, hear me now. For those who are in the Son, God is now fully and forever for you. I want you to imagine this. On the cross, all the vengeance of God poured out upon His Son everything do uh do our sin poured out upon him what that means is that there is no more wrath for those who are in the son those who receive the son is only favor for us he is fully and forever for us now i just want to meditate on that with you for a moment it's a little bit of a a parenthesis here but just you know My family's been going through trials. You guys are probably going through trials. I just want to sit back and meditate on that point for a moment. Jesus takes our day of vengeance so it's no longer ours. And it's done. The vengeance is done. It's extinguished on the cross. I want to think about that in relationship to our trials for a moment. Because if you are a believer, no trial. Hear me now. No trial. That ever comes your way. Is punitive. Meaning punishment. Or vengeance. Or wrath. No trial. No suffering. No matter how hard it feels. Is punishment for you from God. If you are in the son. He took it all. He, He took it all. You guys. Some of us feel and, and I, I'm aware of this feeling. Some of us feel like we have all the evidence in the world. We have so much evidence to make the case that God actually hates us. That he's against I mean, Nick, you're in here talking about, you know, okay, God is being fully and forever for me. And, I, and I'm looking at my life and I'm saying, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? I think I have a pretty strong case. He's not for me, he's against me. And the enemy's right there to agree with you. The accuser of the brethren, right? That's why we need an advocate in the Spirit. Say no. no, no, no. Doesn't matter how how against you you feel God is. Let, let me let me tell you something. I, I, without minimizing the severity of the trial, the pain of it, the suffering that's involved in it. If I could just humbly put forward, the cross will not allow that sort of thinking. It won't allow for it. Because what the cross says is that he took all the vengeance due us, all the anger, all the wrath, so that for those who are in the Son, everything the Father does flows through the Son now. And that means that the wrath taken becomes favor for us. And you say, well, that doesn't make sense, then why do I still have to suffer? What is going on? Well, there's a mystery there for sure. I don't like it either. But what I do know is Hebrews and other places says, no, 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 listen, it's actually now a sign of favor. It's actually now not a sign of his, his, his wrath, but a sign of his love that he disciplines the children he loves. He, he's forming. It's no longer punitive. It's no longer punishment. Now it's, now it's, it's formative. It's instructive, it's corrective that he he's actually now starting to form in us, kind of form us towards the image of himself and help us grow It's certainly hear me, it certainly is not wrath, anger or against you. I hate you. no more of that. If I could uh, put an image or an illustration on this this for us, imagine yourself. As um, now bear with me. As an unrefined block of marble, if you will, that's me. I'm just this block of of stone, just kind of unrefined. Now, when 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 God starts to work on us, when he kind of pulls us out of the, the quarry and, and 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 he starts to work on us, it feels like he's coming at us with a sledgehammer. It feels like a sledgehammer. Like you're destroying me in this, whatever it is. I'm telling you, if you're in Christ, it's not a sledgehammer. God would assure you it's not a sledgehammer. It is a chisel. It is a chisel. And I I would imagine it doesn't feel all that much different Emotionally, uh, uh, physically, it feels the same. But one comes to destroy, the other comes to make something of the stone more than it could ever be in and of itself. And that's what the Bible says our trials, our sufferings are because Jesus took the day of vengeance for us. It's now only favor. Now, no one um, was looking at, at 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 Michelangelo, not the Ninja Turtle. Okay, <laughs> but the artist. <laughs> Although the, the Ninja Turtle was, he was my favorite. He liked the pizza. He had the nunchucks. <clears throat> no one was looking at Michelangelo, thinking, "Oh, bro, you're blowing it." You're blown. Look what you're doing to that stone. Look what you're doing to that marble. Like no one was 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 was, was thinking. Oh, we got to stop this guy. Look, he's got the, he's got this mean streak, and he's just going at this this rock. We got to stop him. No one was thinking that. As he's working, I read it like two years straight, nonstop, sleeping in his clothes, not even eating. He's just working. and This is like God on us, you guys. Just nonstop. If, if we stop him in the middle of his work, then that stone just kind of remains unrefined, just kind of a, a block. Nobody sees any beauty in it. But if we let God continue, if we let Michelangelo continue, then that, that, that block of marble becomes a sculpture that for the last 500 years, millions of people have traveled the world to see. You understand? He's making something of us that we... We could never have been in and of ourselves. And all of that because wrath no longer for us or no longer against us. God is now fully forever for you. I want you to hear that. He took the day of vengeance. He, he drank the last drop of God's wrath. No wrath for, for those in Christ anymore. Now. Second uh, heading for the morning. So we looked at our rejection postponed. Now, his rejection previewed. I want to go there. His rejection previewed. Now, this is uh, essentially going to bring us into verses 22 down through verse 30 and the, the, how the narrative continues there. Hold on one second, please. As we read verse uh, 22 down to verse 30, we start to deal with the synagogue's response to Jesus and, and this announcement that he made of the year of release, the year of Jubilee, right, has come in him, this, this, this age of God's favor is being offered. Um, and, and and there seems to be this moment of awe at the beginning, which I can't go into it, but I thought it was very interesting. It says they marvel at him, and they, they're they kind of in awe at the beginning, but that quickly gives way, we read, to rejection, to utter rejection. Now, I want to look at this carefully now. I want to know why. Why do Jesus' hometown boys reject him? Why do all these guys... At, um upon the, the reception of, of such great news, why do they turn on him? Why do they turn and, and rush him out and throw him off a cliff? What is that? What is it? What is it that causes us to oppose, to resist God's grace and the advance of his kingdom, his kingdom of peace, his kingdom of shalom? What is it in us that causes us to go, I don't like it. Get it out of here. I want to ask these questions because I want to make sure that sort of stuff doesn't take root in me or you. We don't want to be like these guys as I prayed at the beginning. I don't want this church to be like the church in Nazareth where we do our religious thing. We read our scriptures every Sabbath. But when Jesus, when God actually shows up to speak, we go, shut up and get out of here. Let us do our little ritual. We don't actually want to meet with you. We're doing our own little thing. I don't want that, guys. What causes the rejection? I see, I'm sorry, you guys are like, Dude, he's got all these loogies up here, this is gross. <laughs> uh, um, I see three reasons um, as we make our way through these verses that, that, that these Jews um, kind of have for rejecting Jesus. I'm going to take it piece by piece. First, first. I see that Jesus, I think they, they claim that Jesus is too familiar. They reject him because he's too familiar. Now read verses 22 to 24 with me again. <clears throat> and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Well, we have heard you did at Capernaum. Do here in your hometown as well. And he said, "Truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown." So while the people are marveling and, and stuff, it seems like this whisper campaign kind of begins among them. Like people start going, "Wait a minute, wait a minute! You are you all impressed for a moment, but I, I know this kid. I mean, I knew this guy as a little baby. I, I, I like." I play—I don't know what they play. I sh- 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 Bocce ball with his dad. Like I work with his dad. I—I I, I hang out with his family. This—this this doesn't work for me. This isn't computing. It's too familiar. He's too much like us, you guys. He's claiming to be the—the—the the, the servant, the Messiah, the Redeemer. He's bringing in the age of God's favor and this new beginning for the world. Are you kidding me? I know this guy. It's Jesus. And so Jesus looks, and, and, he, and he, when it, the things he kind of says kind of give us some further idea of what, what, what's going on in their heart. Because he's like, yeah, you're, you're, I know what you're going to say to me. You say, physician, heal yourself. What that means, I think, is you guys are all going to start looking at me saying, okay, you're making all these great claims. We've heard wonderful things you did in Capernaum. Now, prove it. You're the physician. Prove it. You're all that you say you are. Prove it. I want to see it for myself before I'm just going to embrace You. You're too much like us. You're too familiar. Now it's when as I kind of thought about this, it's sad. It's it's sad, you guys. Um really, because when you think about what um the Messiah was to be and even what the scriptures say he's gonna be. Here's the crazy thing. What they think disqualifies Jesus from from being uh, the Savior? What they think disqualifies him. You're too much like us. You're too familiar. That is actually a critical qualification of the Savior of the world. If they had read their Bibles closely, they would have seen that this servant actually was, was going to be one that would grow up among them, that they would take on kind of what they were in and be in their situation, and people weren't going to think he was all that great. That's what you see in Isaiah 53, verse 2. It's the basic context of Isaiah 61, and yet these guys don't get it. They're playing right into the devil's hands. <coughs> Isaiah 53, 2. He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. Speaking of the the servant, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. It just looks like nothing. He's growing up in our midst. What's that all about? Well, the author of Hebrews would fill this out a little bit more for us and explain why the Savior, why the servant had to do this. This is what Hebrews uh, 2.17 says. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect. In other words, he had to become familiar so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So here's, here's what we're reading. If, if, if Jesus is gonna be the savior of the world, of humanity, he has to be familiar. He has to take on flesh and blood of his brothers because it's flesh and blood that deserves to die for their sin. Human beings deserve to die for God's sin. That's where God's vengeance is coming. It's upon man. And therefore, if Jesus is going to save man as our substitute, he has to become man and die in our place so that his death counts for me and his resurrection gives me a new start. You can proclaim the year of release. Catching this, the very thing they say, no, no, disqualified, too familiar. It's actually a critical qualification to the Savior. This is tragic. Jesus is moving towards so that he can be the faithful high priest. The, 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 the wrath-removing sacrifice for their sins, so he can know them and love them and intercede for them before the Father. And they say, that's a reason to reject you. It's crazy. Now, there's this uh, strange phenomenon. <laughs> Maybe you've experienced it, where sometimes we can actually be um, so close to something that we no longer see it rightly. Sometimes this happens in our marriages, you know, with a honeymoon. Oh, and you got that idea. And then like, you know, 10 years later, you're like, pass me the remote, honey, you know, or whatever. It's like, so you, you, you know, you've lost some of that. Familiarity can start to kind of, you don't see things truly anymore. You're just too familiar with it. It's, it's funny, dude. We were, uh uh well, Megan and i took a took a couple of days in monterey a couple of weeks ago and um we were there we'd parked we I'm always looking for sermon illustrations and when I saw this, I was like, oh my gosh, this was it but uh we were parked by the <coughs> by the ocean, and uh we're looking out like, it was a beautiful day it was awesome uh looking out over the sea and things kind of on a bluff and I see these guys get out of the car, and they have their cameras, you know, and they're 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 strapped and they're ready and they're going. I'm like, oh, this is gonna be something good. Like, what do they see? I'm looking for like a whale, like, you know, like doing like straight up free willy out on the. I'm looking for something, you know. Like, this is gonna be great. And I, I can show you. Watch these guys, and, and they go. And forgive me if you've done this. <laughs> but they're going up to the seagull. There's a seagull munching on some like bread or, or some trash. And oh my, they saw this Kodak moment with this seagull, right? And they're, they're going to dial it in. And they're, oh my gosh, the people back home are going to love this. And they're taking it to, a seagull. I'm going, you know, the, you know, the foreigner, you know, the people that are, are not familiar with this area when they're taking pictures of seagulls, because we hear we're like seagulls are a nuisance, right? This is how the people in Costa Rica probably felt about my wife and I on our honeymoon. We're taking pictures. It's just a two-toed sloth, man. It's just a toucan. We're all, you know, that's what happens. But here's 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 my point. The things that we're around a lot, the things that we're familiar with, the things that we're 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 closest to, sometimes we actually stop seeing it for what it is. I suppose seagulls are actually quite impressive creatures on their own right. And I would think they're pretty amazing if I didn't see them all the time. And the same sort of dynamic can happen, phenomenon can happen in our relationship with Jesus. It's happening there in Nazareth in this synagogue and it can happen with us in our relationship with him. I wonder, I wonder if if this is where you're at. If you've been so moved by grace, maybe your story begins with just like, man, I can't even believe God would save me. I can't even believe he's, he's speaking to me right now. I can't even believe he loves me like this. And, and you're, you're, you're in the church service. You're the guy on your knees. You're the guy with tears in your eyes or whatever. You're the gal just raising her voice up to the heavens. I can't believe I'm accepted. And now you see those people and you think they're kind of over emotional, weird. You know, I'm 15 years into this thing. Just give it some time, you guys, you settle down. You know, you kind of lose your first love. As you get familiar, you can kind of, that statement is kind of true. It can breed contempt or at least complacency. Like there are certain verses that used to just glow for you. Like think of Romans 28, the first time you discovered it. It's like, I just found gold in the Bible. All things work together for my good. I just found gold for my suffering and my trial. All things for good for me. Now people quoted in your suffering. Eh. Find me something new, like get in the old testament, someplace I don't know, and show me that truth. Then maybe I'll be wowed. But guys, we could get so familiar with stuff that we actually are no longer faithful to it. Familiarity is not the problem. Let me be clear. The solution is not don't go to church for a couple months, don't read your Bible for a few months, and then it'll be fresh and awesome. That's not the solution. The solution is, press in. Get as familiar as you can with Romans 8.28 and the church and, and the gospel. Don't ever go looking for something new. Press in. But as you press it's a God, take me deeper. Open my eyes. I'm not going to settle for just status quo. Open my eyes. I want to fall in love more. Help me see more of what you've done. Related to where I'm at now, God, I need you. You go into the same gospel. You press into the same stuff. Get as familiar as you can. Let's not let it turn to complacency or contempt. As we grow more familiar, it should be growing our faith. Now, (coughs) so reason number one for their rejection. I'll move quicker through these last. Jesus is too uh, familiar. Secondly, now, Jesus is too inclusive. Now, let me show you where I'm going to get these. These last two are related. Because as we move towards the second and third reasons for the Jews' rejection of Jesus, uh, I want to read verses 25 to 27. So to illustrate his point, that a prophet is without honor in his hometown, uh, Jesus recalls two stories from the Jewish scriptures. And, And this is what he does, verses 25 to 27. But in truth, I tell you, There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up and for three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. So Elijah and Elisha were prophets in Israel. During the time when, when, when the kings and the people of Israel were just driving the nation off a cliff. And they were headed towards judgment and exile. And Jesus here recalls those two stories. And he says, hey guys, you, you remember when, 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 uh, God sent his prophets to those people you considered your enemies? You know, Gentiles? Those are two Gentile people there. If, in case you didn't notice. To two people you considered your enemies, a person there in Sidon and a person there in Syria, remember when he did that, and, and he, he blessed them, he loved on them. Wasn't that awesome? Wasn't that great, guys? And they all just was wrath in their hearts, right? We read. It's, it's as if um, it's as if Jesus just kind of walked over to a chalkboard and ran his nails right down it in this synagogue, because everyone there is just going, "What did he just say to us?" He's talking about God and the prophets going to bless these other nations, those people we consider to be our enemies. What did he just say to us? And When they heard these things all in the synagogue, verse 28, were filled with wrath. At this point, we start to see these, these next two reasons uh, that I'm going to unfold for us as to why we reject. First reason there, he's too inclusive. He's too inclusive. Women, lepers, they were already outcasts even within Israel in Jesus' day. But now we're talking about women, lepers, uh, of the Gentile nations being blessed by God. God's going to them. Are you serious? That's what you're going to say here right now. How dare Jesus talk as if these outsiders are somehow on equal ground with us here in Israel. We know where we stand in God's heart. God's plan. And ain't nobody out there that's equal. Jesus is being too inclusive here. He's talking about uh, God's heart for the nations and they won't have it. They've forgotten that the whole point, that uh, the whole reason God blesses Israel was to make them a blessing to the nations, that his blessing was supposed to go out from them to the Gentiles, the Syrian, the Sidonian, whoever it is, the, the leper, the woman. It's not about this kind of, you're on the inside and let's get rid of everybody else. It's, hey, I'm calling you in to send you out. And they wouldn't have it. There's uh, this thing in the fallen heart of man that pushes against, that rejects that sort of inclusivity. Is it in you? I wonder. Where, you know, we, we, we want to be on the end. It feels good to be on the end. And we, 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 in order to keep ourselves feeling good about being on the end, we have to keep others on the out. So we got to keep, no, they're, they're not as good. No, they're not, whatever it is, I feel special. I feel better knowing that I'm in and they're out. So the inclusive heart of God is a threat to this in us. Like, don't you tell me that, that, that I'm, I'm in the church, uh, I'm not in the church because I'm better. Don't start telling me that this grace is available to everyone, that this privilege is available to everyone. I'm here because, gosh darn it, I'm smart. I'm good looking. I figured it out. And they didn't. You see, that's the sort of thing that gets in us. That's the sort of thing that Jesus is pushing back against, and they are rejecting him for it. Let me tell you, that uh, this is not how it needs to be, you guys. We do not have to be threatened by the inclusive heart of God. That he's going to go out to the outsider and the outcast, and even to our enemies and love them. It's not how uh, it has to be. We don't have to be threatened by this. Let me tell you how it should be. Those who have been Truly saved, redeemed by Christ. This is what we know. I was on the outside. I was the outcast. I was the leper. I, I was the, the the one that was that was broken and ashamed and despised by society. And He called me in. In His grace, He called me in. He brought me on the inside, sat me at a table which I don't belong. The person that knows that is the person that can't wait to tell others that are just feeling like, I could never be in, I'm no good, I'm a loser, I'm nothing. Maybe you're there right now. And the person who's been saved by that kind of grace and that kind of gospel wants to come to you and say, no, 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 the circle, we're drawing it around you as well. Are you a sinner? Great. Get in here. Are you an enemy of God? So was I. There's reconciliation available. It's amazing. Let me tell you about it. We rejoice in the inclusivity of our God. We don't reject Him for it. Second thing that you see here so, so, uh, in this last scene. So we've seen that, that Jesus is too familiar. Jesus is too inclusive. Finally, we see that Jesus is just too honest with these guys. He's just too honest with these guys. I think this is kind of the deepest reason for their wrath of all. Um, Because what we see is that Jesus is is actually calling out their sin. And he's saying, judgment's coming for you guys. Judgment is coming for you guys if you don't turn. And they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear this. Uh, The stories of Elijah and Elisha signal not just God's uh, acceptance of the outsider and the outcast. It actually also signaled his rejection of the insider. That's what's happening there in Israel. Not just uh, God's going out to the outsider because he loves them, but actually he's leaving the insider because they have rejected him. And that is what Jesus is driving home at the bottom here in this synagogue. Guys, you reject his, his grace and it's, it moves on by. It moves on by. I mean, here's, here, here's, here's the reason why he, he mentions, hey, listen, when there were many widows in Israel... And when there were many lepers in Israel, God went outside of Israel to the widows and the lepers because you didn't want them. Prophets rejected in his hometown and the grace just rolls on. Can't stop the kingdom. Can't stop it, but it'll roll on without you. So. Um, I think what what Jesus is saying here is similar to what Paul and Barnabas would say later to uh, another synagogue that rejected the gospel. Acts 13.46, they say this, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, Jews, since you thrust it aside, judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. We're going on. So this was too much there in Nazareth for them to handle. They they, they, they they had this idea that they're the A-team. We're God's A-team. We're God's plan. We're it. And Jesus is saying, actually, the plan is moving on without you, and you're about to get cut. You're about to get cut. And th- th- This can happen with us, right, where we have to ask ourselves, Do we actually want Jesus to speak honestly with us? Do we want to know the truth? Do we want him to come in and tell us where we're really at with him? You see, they had a narrative that they liked. We're the A-team. And when that narrative was kind of threatened, they said, get out of here, man. Even God himself comes in and says it, I don't care. I don't want to think that I'm being rejected or I'm a sinner or I'm equal to them or whatever. Whatever. And sometimes this can happen with us where we, right, we get this kind of narrative, this idea of who we think we are, what we, what we want to be, this kind of fantasy that we play out in our head. And when someone comes, maybe God comes in the scriptures and holds a mirror up and says, that's not the story. We, we have two options. We can either shatter that thing, throw it away, keep living the fantasy. I'm great. I'm good. It's all great. Or we can fall on our face and say, help me God. Help me. You have access to every part of my heart, Jesus. I want you to speak honestly. I want you to show me what's real, what's really going on in here. You've every part of me. I'm not holding back this idol or this sin. Don't you touch that. i have giving you everything. Is that where we're at? That's not where these guys were at. Let me end with this. Jesus' words are a loving warning to these people. He's, he, he, he's speaking a warning. Guys, That could happen to you, this rejection, this this moving on, and they will not hear it. They are not going to heed the warning. You read on there in verses 28 through 30, says this, When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up, and they drove him out of the town, and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. Passing through their midst, he went away. He went away. One um, commentator gives us these sobering words. Hear him. This is the majesty of the presence of Jesus. He simply passed through the midst of them and went away. He spoke no angry word. Nor did he work any spectacular miracle. He he simply walked through the mob. Now, I love this. Some have felt that this was itself a miracle. It certainly was. Though not the kind of miracle the Nazarenes wanted. As far as is known, Jesus never returned to Nazareth. Rejection can be final. kingdom, the grace, just moved on. He went to another town, and they rejected him. I'll tell you, there's a warning in this for us, and I don't want to leave us here, but I think it's where the text leaves us. He, passing through their midst, he went away. So I wonder if there are people, even in this room, that has been resisting God, resisting, resisting, resisting. And he's saying, to him, listen, put down your arms. Heed the warning though though this is the year of the Lord's favor and it's being proclaimed in all the world, the day of vengeance is coming. The day of vengeance is coming. Let's turn from this sort of stuff, rejecting the Savior. Let's receive Him. All that's pictured there is that He's going to take the rejection for us. Right? He's going to be rejected, but that's how we get accepted. That's how He's able to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So let's turn from that sort of rejection and receive the one who was rejected in our place so that the day of vengeance fulfilled in him and the year of the Lord's favor turns into eternity for us. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you that you're kind enough to warn us that you postpone judgment so that we can hear the gospel call. And, oh God, I pray that everyone in this room would just throw open their hearts to you and not hold anything back. All their rejections would be silenced, that they would no longer think of you as too familiar or too inclusive or too um, honest, that they would want to give you everything. God, we ask that you would come in this time, meet us as we sing, as we pray. Come minister your grace and call us into the year of your favor. Thank you for taking the rejection for us and accomplishing our release. It's in your name we pray. Amen.